Hello and welcome to the Rating Room Podcast. It's Jay and Andy again. We're recording another special episode today. From the US, we have a special guest, and that is Vic. Vic, thanks for coming on the show. Uh, Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Hey guys, thank you for having me. Uh, So my name is Vic Kadiri. I'm here in Dallas, Texas. I'm actually an attorney. I do corporate and M&A law. But before being a lawyer, I actually had a whole other career in film. I was like a director, writer, producer type. Uh, worked in Hollywood for a little bit, um, and so as a big fan of cinema and just cinema history, you know, you can't not be a fan of James Bond and the whole 007 franchise, you know, just being the longest running and most successful franchise in history as well. That's great. So before we start, Vic, I just want to ask you a question. How did you move from working in film to being a lawyer? <laughs> How much time do you guys have? Um, but basically, so I spent some time at the end of my time in college, uh, basically writing and producing this film called Waves. It's about four soldiers who desert their nation during wartime and have to decide the best plan for survival, whether it's going out to sea or to a neighboring country for refuge, while being hunted by their own men for treason. And so I made this film. We shot it on 16 millimeter uh, film. Worked with Kodak to, you know get everything I actually even shot on the camera that they used to shoot in the Vietnam War back in the day so if you ever watch Apocalypse Now there's a scene of Francis Ford Coppola um, doing a little cameo he has his Aeroflex uh, 16BL on his shoulder that's the camera we used it's also the camera that Christopher Nolan used while shooting his first film as well so uh, it, it meant a lot to me to be able to shoot the film that way and get that certain look um, but effectively, I uh, used that film as my calling card movie, went to LA, worked in distribution for a little bit, but a financier had seen this film while I was out in LA. He, he saw it while I was playing actually in the East Coast, so I'm from North Carolina originally, and uh, got a hold of me and wanted to basically hire me to direct another feature. Uh, and I was like, this is great, this is my way out of LA, I, I wasn't very happy in Hollywood. Um, but before I could leave, my university had actually hired me to go and interview a bunch of alumni in the in greater Los Angeles area and San Francisco area. And I met such a wide variety of people, people who were in different industries, uh, different parts of their life, old and young. And what I realized coming out of it was that as a filmmaker, I had developed such a unique and different set of skills that could be transferred anywhere. And two people who really left an influence on me while I was out there were actually these two attorneys. One was a public defender in Oakland, California, and the other, other, the other one was a uh, trade secret attorney in downtown Los Angeles. And so that kind of stuck with me because I, I think I did a whole like cross-country journey after that by myself, stopping wherever I knew people, sometimes not knowing people. And you know, when you're on the road for that long by yourself, you have a lot of time to think and reflect and realize you know, what do you really want out of life? And I think for me, it was um, being close to family and a, a career that would kind of Give me that option because when you're in Hollywood and, and you know it's all consuming, um, and I think that, that wasn't for me. That's great, Vic. That's that's really fascinating, actually. And from memory, Andy, this is our second guest that's worked in film because we've had R2 from Finland, he works in film and TV as well. It is indeed, yeah. We are we're one step closer to the movie business, I guess, you could say, <laughs> right now. <laughs> So, so let's carry on with the, the recording. So continue with the theme of James Bond. We're going to ask you some questions, Vic, um, obviously about James Bond. So I'm going to kick us off. 
So what is your earliest Bond memory? Um, it was actually, I want to say 2010 or 2011. Um, so one of my friend's grandfather was visiting from India. So he, he's, he's a, a more elderly gentleman and he, he loved, you know, older Hollywood movies. And so I remember we were watching Goldfinger together um, and just kind of left a big impression on me. And I was like, oh, so this is James Bond. And I was familiar with Ethan Hunt at this point, right? Because, you know, Tom Cruise and the Mission Impossible movies were still pretty big when I was growing up in the 2000s. Um, but I don't think I'd ever been directly exposed to the Bond uh, films. So how old did you say you were then, sorry? I was probably <laughs> 15 or 16. Okay. And I, f- I think as a, you know, as a teenager then, watching an old film, did, did you not think it was dated? Did you still enjoy the film considering it was such an old film? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I still love old movies. Um, like My favorite film is North by Northwest, which is, you know, the proto-James Bond movie. Um, but so when I first moved to the U.S., right, um, so I, I was born in India, I came around four, and so growing up, you know, there's definitely a language barrier there, right? And so we'd go to the library, and my mom would pick out Charlie Chaplin films. And so that's, you know, my earliest, you know, memories with like, great cinema. And so being able to enjoy silent era movies, I think says I can also enjoy the 50s and 60s era as well. Oh, excellent. So have you been, have you been back and watched all the Bond movies from that point? Oh, absolutely. I've seen them all. Yeah. yeah. I think when I yeah. really, really got into them was actually freshman year of college. So our library, you could go rent out DVDs and stuff, and they, they had most of them. Um, and so I think there's only a few that they didn't have. I think they didn't have Octopussy. They didn't have Diamonds Are Forever. And they didn't have Honor Majesty's Secret Service. I think those were the three that they were missing at that point. And what that was 2013. So only Skyfall had come out as the latest film at that point. Um, but yeah, no, I've seen them all. Um, I think I could pick out one from each actor that I love the most. Um, and I think there's just a charm to each Bond actor's portrayal of Bond that I just kind of love. Yeah, there's a, there's a uniqueness and a at the same time a sameness it's uh yeah we get into great detail on a podcast about the different actors and the different films and portrayals uh but let's uh, let me give you another question a bit more high level nice easy one what would you say your favorite bond movie is oh easily skyfall um so skyfall was the first bond film i saw in theaters i remember going to see it with my friends it was senior year of high school so and i think that film just left a such a big impact and impression on me it definitely affected my tastes and like how a man should dress how a man should shave how a man should just kind of uh, move through life um like skyfall like man I, I have that shaving kit that he uses in the hotel right um i i actually got the straight edge razors too but i don't like that as much i'm gonna stick with my gillette like uh, connery does in goldfinger but i i use the the bowl and the um the the brush to this day so no yeah skyfall i mean even my, the part my, my, my so i love omega watches for example and i started loving them because of skyfall he wears the aqua terra in that movie and when i first saw that i was like this is the perfect watch and i wanted that watch i think for about nine years maybe more since i saw it so 2013 yeah since 2013 i got it in 2021 and you know, I would go to, you know, when you're traveling abroad, you stop in the Omega boutiques in the airports and you get to try it on and see if you see if you like it and whatnot. I, I did that for years. And then finally, when I finished law school 
and I finally became a U.S. citizen. I finally went out and was able to afford that watch and bought it. So it just kind of felt very full circle to me, because uh, Bond Skyfall had just come out right before, at the end of high school, starting college. So a follow-up question there, um, Vic. Do you think Daniel Craig is the most fashionable Bond? I think it's between him and Roger Moore. I think they have the most like flair uh, in their style. They're not afraid to be. I don't, I don't want to say flamboyant because flamboyant sounds more Austin Powers, but um, they, they're not able. They're not afraid to be a little more stylish. I think. I think when you look at Dalton, uh, Connery, and even uh, Pierce, it's a little uh, pared back, a little more understated, uh, which is good, right? That's, that's still a good thing too. That's more classically British. Um, but I think like Craig, I think actually borrows a lot from more Americana style as well. And I think Connery isn't afraid, or not Connery, um, Moore isn't afraid to just do things a little different, like the, like his safari jackets, for example. But it could also be the era that he's in, you know, 70s and 80s with the flared pants and whatnot. Um, so, yeah. But, I mean, look, I think Daniel Craig's style, uh, I love Daniel Craig a lot as an actor um, as well. And uh, I do try to take a lot of style notes from him. Brilliant. So, Vic, you've just mentioned your favorite Bond film, which is obviously Skyfall. Thinking about the, the opposite end, what is your worst Bond film? It feels very sacrilegious to say this because it's a Sean Connery film uh, but it's Diamonds Are Forever uh, I just find so it's actually one of the last Bond films I saw right because my, my uh, school library didn't have them so I had to go out and buy this myself and watch it on my own time outside of school like well after school and I just there's very little in that film that I find redeemable um, it, it starts out kind of, you know, with uh, Bond looking for revenge and killing Blofeld, so it kind of kills uh, the, the tension that came out from Honor Majesty's Secret Service right before, because instead you kind of expect a film where he's hunting Blofeld the entire time, and of course Blofeld's still alive, um, but, man, Conrad just, it was just, he just felt so half-hearted in his uh, portrayal there, and even the ending of Diamonds Are Forever as a goodbye to Sean Connery's era, really, it just also felt a little empty um yeah so do you, do you think it would have been a better film if Jules Lazenby stayed on or do you just think the film wasn't that good it wasn't necessarily well obviously you mentioned about Sean Connery um in terms of his portrayal but if Jules Lazenby did stay on for another Bond film do you think it would have been any better well I think Lazenby was pretty kind of done with being Bond too at that point right so I don't maybe his performance would have also been half-hearted as well uh, it's it's hard hard to say if it would have been better with uh, Lazenby or Connery, um, but I, I I just don't feel that well you know I think with the lead actor right like we saw Daniel Craig's um, final speech he did at the end of No Time to Die I think the Bond actors very much a leader on set as well and having like you know worked on sets too like lead actors kind of are leaders on set alongside the directors and producers and I think when the lead actor is not as engaged or into the project, as Connery appeared to be with Diamonds Are Forever, I think it does kind of hurt the whole film. Um, so maybe Lazenby would have been a little bit more engaged, but I, I think it's hard to say. Yeah, so it's a fair response. I guess it's one of those uh, we'll never know, but but it's good to good to think about the possibilities. Uh, but speaking of actors, do you have a particular favorite Bond actor? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think Daniel Craig all the way. Um, even though he wasn't like the first Bond, you know, I saw, and even though I, I don't think he uh, fits these this uh, traditional portrayal of Bond, I think that's Pierce Brosnan all the way. 
But for me, and I think for a lot of folks uh, my age and younger, uh, Daniel Craig is is our Bond. I mean, not just within the films, right? It's also like the, the greater culture. Um, who is this actor we think of as as James Bond? Like the Heineken commercials, for example, or um, the uh, London Olympics in 2012, right? The, the thing with the Queen. Um, I, I, I love that a little bit that they did together. I mean, I still go back and watch it every now and then because it just looks so cool. It's just so smooth. Um, so, yeah, I think Daniel Craig's my favorite Bond. I also think he's actually the best actor that the franchise has ever had to play uh, the lead. Like, if you look at his range um, outside of the Bond films, too, he does comedy so well, whether it's the Knives Out movies or even, like, Logan Lucky like, really sold me on Daniel Craig as an actor. When he plays the character of Joe Bang and does that like Appalachian accent, I was like, wow. And again, like I grew up in North Carolina in Charlotte, so Logan Lucky's plot revolves around the whole Charlotte Motor Speedway, which is down the street from where I grew up, from my high school. So it just kind of was like, man, this guy's really, really good. And then if you watch his earlier films too, um, what's, what is it, Layer Cake? That was like his audition for Bond. And I was like, oh, it all makes sense. So... Yeah, and I think Craig has a certain like swagger to him, sort of like Connery as well, in the way that they walk. Um, and yeah, uh, I think there's very few actors that have that kind of swagger. Yeah, I've seen interviews on YouTube with Roger Moore and Sean Connery where they've both said Daniel Craig is the best actor that has portrayed um, Bond. And going back to your point about you know the Olympics, it was only when... When the Queen died, actually, I rewatched some of the opening ceremony on YouTube and the the bit with Daniel Craig and Bond jumping out the the helicopter with the Queen was it helicopter or plane, but yeah, uh, that was um yeah that was um really good. So you've obviously just mentioned about your Bond actor. So we in the in our main pod we talk about different things like the theme songs. Did you have a particular favorite theme song? Yeah, so even though it's from what I think is the my, my least favorite Bond film, I think it's the best song, Diamonds Are Forever. Um, I, I think part of it also might be that Kanye sampled it too and made, made it his own on his second album. Um, but I think thematically it's really good. And also recently in the uh, Sound of 007 documentary, right? I think they spoke about Diamonds Are Forever uh, a fair amount. And that just kind of really increased my appreciation for that song even more so. Um, it's just it's such a classic. I think I I know a lot of folks like Goldfinger as their favorite song too, but I think Goldfinger. I mean, he's singing about the villain, and it's like ah oh, whatever. But Diamonds Are Forever. It feels a little romantic, and um, I don't know, it, it just feels perfect. Definitely a classic for sure. Uh, but another thing we talk about, and we we can't talk about Bond without talking about Bond girls. So, do you have a particular favorite from the franchise? I think it's a tie. Um, between Severin from Skyfall. Again, I think, like I said, Skyfall just made such an impression on me at the age of 17. Like, there's this shot uh, in the casino where she's smoking and she breathes out the smoke like almost like a dragon, uh, which is just so cool. And she's this femme fatale character that I think didn't get enough screen time, um, but she leaves such an impact with her short amount of time on screen. And the other is uh, Solitaire from Live and Let Die. I think I just have a huge crush on her. Uh, <laughs> and I think, yeah, nothing more than that. Yeah, so we, 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 yeah, we track all the, the Bond girls in and um, it, it's quite hard to rank them, you know, because there's been so many different Bond girls. It, it is a, it's a difficult ask. So you've obviously talked about your favourite Bond film, your favourite actor, theme song. So 
What about thinking from the other side in terms of villains? So this could be a, a main villain or one of the henchmen. Who's your favorite? Oh, Silva, like without a doubt, right? Um, man, when Javier Bardem comes down the elevator and starts walking towards the camera when Bond's tied up and just the whole monologue he does and the interaction with Bond, it's, uh, I think it's like a franchise high for sure. Like he, he to me, he's more convincing as this rogue agent or agent that's been um, mistreated and wants revenge than um, Sean Bean's from uh, GoldenEye. Yeah, our just a bit of uh, inside baseball for our listeners out there. Our next main pod recording is going to be Skyfall, um, and I'm really looking forward to talking about Silver. Um, but uh, I'll I'll leave the teasers at that for the time being because I'm. It depends when this is released compared to the to the main pod. Uh, but another thing we like to talk about is uh, each of our favorite scenes in each film. So there's there's various scenes that just come to mind straight away. What would you say are some of the more memorable ones, in your opinion? There's two shots that really come to mind, or two scenes. Um, so one, so I'm not a big fan of this film as a whole, but this one scene and shot just is amazing. So it's, it's in GoldenEye, the, the tank chase. It's just so bombastic. It's so Bond. Uh, it's so reckless and careless, but it's so necessary, too, in that moment. Uh, it just it feels big. Um, and it's just a great image because you see Pierce looking quite dapper, um, as you know, and, and very confident as as the new Bond. You know, and he's just coming down the street, and this new tank's crashing through the wall, which I think is later mirrored actually in Casino Royale when we see the uh, the chase in Madagascar, where Bond's like crashing through walls, right? So I think there's a kind of like a, a parallel there. And the other one is. Um, the rooftop chase in Quantum of Solace. It's like right after the, the 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 song title sequence and everything. But at the very end, you know, Bond's kind of um, got his leg trapped up in the rope and he's swinging back and forth trying to get the gun. And the, the, the other henchman's like about to get the gun too. And so there's a lot of tension in that scene. It's like, is he or is he, or is he not going to get that gun in time? And you can feel him as he's like rubbing his fingers against the, the glass on the ground. It's, it's very visceral. And I, I love that part too as well. Yeah, that was uh, my favourite scene from Quantum of Solace as well. Um, re- very, very gritty. I do love a chase scene, um, and this on being on foot just gave a you know little, little twist to the usual kind of car or boat or whatever. But yeah, you're right. Visceral, I think, is a great word to describe it. Yeah, Quantum of Solace is such a kinetic film. Like it's very short and it never really stops. It's always moving, and I think every imaginable chase scene is in there. Right, boat, car, foot plain uh they they have it all it never it never stops moving and i think it's such a great movie to kind of just put on because it uh, the action is always there yeah we we discussed that didn't we andy in the quantum of solace and if i remember correctly that was one of the questions in the question segment the quiz section wasn't it about the different chases it was indeed i'm still undefeated (laughs) as of recording (laughs) So moving on, we, we talk about the gadgets in each of the films. We don't talk about our favorite gadget, actually. Maybe we, we do that at the end of the season um, special, but we do mention the gadgets that Bond uses. So Vic, do you have a particular favorite gadget in the franchise? I think there's one gadget that really kind of blew me away when I first saw it. Um, it's not even Bond's gadget. It's actually the, the dagger shoes in From Russian With Love at the very end of the movie. 
um, I think in the hotel room. Um, I'm blanking on the name, but you know she she comes out and she has these 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 daggers in her shoes, which again is later mirrored in the Dark Knight with the Joker's shoes. Um, he has them in his shoes as well, and I don't know why I thought it was like so clever. Like wow, like I mean, again, film from the '60s, but even to like to this day, I think that's just a clever uh, thing, like a, a villain or hench person or anyone could put in their shoes to like have for a fight. Um, but yeah, but besides that, man, in the Spy Who Loved Me, like there's that great chase right in the Lotus. They're going and going and going, and then eventually Bond goes into the water, and the Lotus is a submarine now, and that's that's awesome. Um, I, I think I love that so much as well. Yeah. Aside from the Aston Martin, the Lotus Esprit has is, is got to be my favourite Bond car. An absolute classic. Um, we've talked a lot of high points so far. Uh, I'm going to bring the tone down a little bit. What would you say is the lowest point of the franchise so far? You know, it's it's hard to say because I haven't lived through much of it. I mean, I'm, what, 27 and the franchise is 60. So I haven't even lived half of it. But from historically, I, I think this is right. Um, but, you know, feel free to correct me. But from everything I've read and understood, but one of the most scary parts of the franchise was right before The Spy Who Loved Me came out. Because I think at that point, Live and Let Die had come out, it was okay. Man with the Golden Gun didn't do as well, and I think there was a lot of fear of whether this franchise could uh, keep going uh, forward. And I think when The Spy Who Loved Me came out, it was such a smashing hit. Um, people, I think, really loved it. I think that kind of kept everything alive. I think also the points between um, Dalton and Brosnan was probably concerned another low point. But as far as something I've actually lived through, I think with all the delays of No Time to Die was something uh, pretty tough for the franchise and cinema as a whole. Yeah, it was a difficult time with all the COVID delays. Just going back to your point on, uh, I guess, the, the 70s, we had, um, we had a number of issues around that time. I seem to remember a quote to George Lazenby, where someone said to him, there's no point being James Bond because the spy friend, uh, the spy genre is all but dead. And that would have been obviously just a couple of years before um, uh, before the time frame you were talking about. And I think this would have been around the time, Jay, if I'm correct, that the legal issues would have started up in terms of the rights to the Blofeld character and Spectre, etc., which is why we didn't see Blofeld for quite a period of time yeah indeed and you know as Vic said as well Dalton and Bosnan you know the the, the gap between that as well I think is um, important to note as well what about now Vic how do you think things are now with Daniel Craig obviously leaving the franchise and there's been no announcement yet with the new Bond and from what we've read Barbara Broccoli is saying it's going to be another two years before the Bond film is going to come out. What's your feelings about where we are now? I think there's a lot of, weirdly, uh, some uncertainty around the franchise and kind of where it could go, especially in our like modern political co- uh, context. Um, I think society is changing a lot. Our norms are changing a lot. How we speak to each other, uh, what we're expecting out of, you know... I think the gender roles changing a lot, too, as well. Like, what is... What does it mean to be a man? What does it mean to be masculine? What does it mean to be a woman? What does it mean to be feminine as well? And I think all that will inform the next Bond film. Like, No Time to Die is the first Bond film after Me Too, right? Spectre came out in 2015. Me Too kind of blew up in 2017. Uh, and then No Time to Die comes out in 2021. Um, so, I, I don't know. I mean, Craig's still kind of playing the role of being the face of the franchise until there's a new actor, 
announced, right? Um, and I know there's uh, rumblings about Aaron Taylor Johnson um, and I know Henry Gold, or not Henry Golding, Henry Cavill is still like a big fan favorite as well. Um, but I think he might be tied up with another franchise, and not Superman, but I think um, God what, Argyle. There's another spy action thriller that he's heading up. I think Dua Lipa's in it too. So I'm curious to see uh, how things play out with everyone's schedules. Um, yeah, I think people are a little nervous. I'm 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 not too uh, worried about it, honestly. Um, personally, I think one of the great things about the Bond films is that it knows how to reinvent itself for the modern uh, day. So in our main part podcast, we we talk, we do a bit of acting, me and Andy, Vic. So we, we talk about one-liners, different quotes. I say a bit of acting very loosely there, um, Vic, because if you listen to any of the episodes, you know me and Andy can't act. So, you know... Hollywood, in- Hollywood hasn't called yet. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's for sure. All in due time. <laughs> So, you know, thinking across the whole franchise, do you have any standout quotes or one-liners that you think are just better than the rest or, you know, just really stand out? Yeah, absolutely. So I think this kind of ties in with what I was just saying about what makes the Bond film so great. But in the interaction between Silva and Bond when they first meet, you know, um, Bond says, well, you know, everyone needs a hobby. And Silva's like, so what's yours? And Bond responds, resurrection. And I mean, Skyfall as a whole is a very meta film. Like, it's not just about uh, a spy, whether you know MI six agents are outdated, but whether the James Bond franchise is outdated. But this line of resurrect saying resurrection is that Bond as an idea and franchise can constantly reinvent and adapt to whatever is happening in the world. Um, we will always need a James Bond like character, um, and we will always need you know espionage and these agents in our world kind of keep things safe because a lot of the work is still in the shadows um, in so many ways and I think you know guys my age and younger still need this uh, character of James Bond yeah Bond is and probably will remain timeless that's for sure um, we've talked a lot about the films I want to switch gears slightly um, have you read any of the Bond novels, either the, the original Flemings or any of the more recent ones with other authors? I've read Casino Royale many, many years ago. Um, and I was planning to read them, all the Ian Fleming ones too, but I know they're doing a re-release of all the books this year. So I wanted to uh, pause before I try and buy up any older versions of the, of the books and just wait till this new release comes out and then buy them all then. But I currently have Forever in a Day sitting on my bedside table. I think I've written, I only read maybe a chapter or two. But I, I, I quite like it so far. I think it'd be a cool adaption for the next Bond film. Yeah, I'm, I'm curious whether they'll go with uh, with a book or whether it'll be a completely different, you know, completely new script. Because obviously the first well, dozen or so at least were based on books. But then at some point in the franchise, they kind of went away from the novels and maybe just took the titles and kind of came up with their own thing so it'd be i'd be curious to see if they go back to any of the of the novels either either fleming or the more recent ones mm-hmm. so vic we, we kind of touched on the future um of the bond franchise earlier on so do you think who do, who's your number one choice for the next bond actor this is uh maybe a black sheep answer but i would really like to see henry golding become the next james bond um, and he, so here's my argument why I know I know he's not popular, but he's uh, I think uh, his dad's British. 
mom is um, Malaysian, I think. And I feel like every film he's been in has been this like little audition to play James Bond. You know, Crazy Rich Asians, it's like the romantic side, so Pierce Brosnan style. Um, we've seen him do action in the G.I. Joe movie. Um, even The Gentleman too, like they call him like a Chinese James Bond. And that one rom-com movie he did, um, he does like a, a Sean Connery impression as well. Uh, I think he just has the look. I think it'd be more of like a, I'd imagine him being more like a Pierce Brosnan type. James Bond, a little bit more romantic, more debonair. Um, and he's, he's so suave too, like as, as a person, like in, in his um, media appearances, just so smooth. And uh, I think he'd be a great face for the uh, franchise. And more than just that, I think looking at the like box office numbers of where Bond films do well, it's very it's, it's it's an international franchise right it's like no time to die did better everywhere outside of the u.s more than the u.s in many ways even though america is like one of the bigger markets um and i think uh golding kind of represents almost like a a more globalist future in a way being an interracial actor but still very british in, in many ways like um so i think i'd love to see him but i i'm not keeping uh, my hopes up or holding my breath on that one so we did a special episode earlier on in the season, Vic, where myself and Andy went through the top 10 bookies' favourites and then me and Andy picked two wild cards and one of my wild cards were um, Henry Golden, actually. So I think he'd, he'd be a very good choice. You don't see him as... Well, especially over here, I don't know if it's, it's different in the States, you never see his name linked to the James Bond role. Right, right, yeah. Yeah, it's it's, it's like... It's always Henry Cavill. Actually, you know, I recently saw The Night Manager with um, Tom Hiddleston, and I thought he was quite fantastic there too. I was like, this this is also a great James Bond audition, uh, you know, piece as well. Um, so, I think he'd be quite good at it as well. Yeah, for for many many years over here, there's been two names synonymous with the Bond. It's Tom Hardy or Idris Elba, and I think unfortunately, considering. Tom Hardy's now in his 40s and Idris Elba's now in his 50s that would probably be the argument to say their time has passed but it's uh, they they were always the names and then like you said Henry Cavill because I think I'm right thinking when Craig got the role Cavill was was basically second choice or was was the choice but deemed too young at the time so he was kind of dare I say standby Um, but now he's in his what sort of mid 30s 36 37 Probably a good. I mean, I'm I'm 38 myself, so I could I could put my name forward. But uh, mid 30s is probably a good age because you've got that experience and that grittiness, but you've also got the youth, so you can take it into the future. Yeah, absolutely. I think at the time Martin Campbell said uh, Henry Cavill was uh, too pudgy uh, when he was auditioning for James Bond. Like he wasn't thin enough or you know shredded enough to to play the role. Uh, and I think he took that to heart when he did 300 and everything. Um, but I think Tom Hardy, you know, Tom Hardy, I love, I think he's a fantastic actor, but he's, in my eyes, almost like too rugged to play Bond. Um, I know that, like, I know one of the criticisms of Idris Elba was like, he's too street to be Bond, but I feel the same way about Tom Hardy uh, in, in, in so many ways. Um, if anything, I'd, I'd say Idris might be a little bit more smoother um, around the edges than, than Hardy is. Because I feel like in every film Hardy's ever been in, he's he's, he's very tough, and even more of a uh, Russian bodyguard than Daniel Craig ever was. 
So, I don't know, but we'll see. I'm excited. Either way, I think they'll make a good choice. Yeah, we, we certainly look forward to that. I'm going to ask you one more question before we get into some uh, ratings and rankings. And it's it's a question we've asked all the other guests we've had. It's, is there a particular film of the franchise that you were looking forward to more than another? And did it meet the expectations that you had for it? So that film for me was definitely No Time to Die. Um, with all the delays and just, you know, as Craig's final film and being such a big Daniel Craig fan, like even right now I'm wearing uh, the No Time to Die watch and I bought it specifically because it was Daniel Craig's last film and he had a hand in helping design the watch too. Um, so, I, yeah, man, I remember when it was supposed to come out in April, what, 2020? I had bought out a whole row of the theater for all my friends to watch together. And of course, then the cancellations happened and COVID happened. Um, and so it just kept getting delayed, delayed, delayed. But then here, when it finally released, I, I was finally living in Dallas at the time. I, I was there opening night. Um, cause they had an early showing on Wednesday, went to that, went again the very next day with my friends that I had planned originally. Um, so I think the hype for No Time to Die was just insanely high um, because of all, all the delays. And truth be told, I think the first two times I saw it, in, in theaters, I was just so excited just to like be in the theaters to watch a James Bond movie. Um, that I think I maybe missed a lot of details and um, wasn't able to judge the film on its own merits. Um, but now I, I really do think it's a fantastic film. I easily one of the best in the franchise. I know, I know right now in, in the in the fan base, especially if you look on Reddit, um, a lot of people do not like No Time to Die. And I, I can understand why. I'm, I'm also kind of curious too on, on your thoughts on that as well as you know, slightly older than me, um, how you feel about Bond dying. Because I, I have a buddy of mine, he's a huge James Bond fan as well. There's about, I think he's 33, 34, and he was very disappointed and upset that Bond dies at the end. He's like, this is James Bond, he can never die, he always wins, he always gets out, right? And I, so I love the whole spy genre as, as a whole. Um, and obviously Bond is like the bastion of that. And to me, I'm like, this is like a great piece of cinema. Like, I love Kerry Joji Fukunaga, whether it's True Detective or his uh, earlier films like Sin Nombre um, or even Beast of No Nation. Um, and none of his films necessarily end on positive notes when I think about it. Um, but uh, so this kind of fits on that end. But No Time to Die as a whole is a film that is... One of the big themes is the idea of legacy, right? Like, what are you leaving behind? Um, when that first conversation that he has with Nomi, Nomi's like, you know, you have uh, the idea essentially is like that you have nothing better to do with your time. You're just kind of withering away, wasting it all away. And um, but ultimately, I think one's legacy is not just what they do, but also the children that they leave behind and the impact they leave on those children as well, right? And so I think one of the easiest ways and common ways that we have a legacy is is it our kids. I, I don't have any kids myself, um, but you know, one day I, I hope to. I, and so I think it's a, it's a beautiful film that people don't kind of appreciate enough. I actually think it has better cinematography than Skyfall as well. I um, we're, well, Jay and I are going to be recording the No Time Today episode in the coming weeks, so we're going to be watching it again. But from memory, and I've watched it maybe five or six times, because uh, like you, I, I absolutely love the film. I think it's fantastic. And to your earlier point about people not lying that, not liking that Bond died at the end... I was a bit mixed in terms of the decision, but I think the way it was done was beautifully, beautifully done. It was really, really good. I actually thought 
when the uh, when he got poisoned um and you know it, that realization sets in that he'll never be able to basically see or touch his family ever again i thought that was like heart-wrenching and if they would have ended it around that time that bond is is alive but he has to move away from family and it's kind of he's back to square one he's on his own with no one that would have been a very a very strange way to end as well particularly going into a new a new actor knowing that it was craig's final film um but i i i quite like the fact that you can look at craig's five films as as a standalone bond franchise because you've you've got the start to finish so i i quite like that about it it does obviously mean that the next film has a decision to make do you start again do you reboot do you have some strange thing where actually bond didn't die after all no i think that will probably be as popular as a fart in church um but you know there's there's many options that they can take but it's not it's not just a simple continuation so i think it i i think it does justice to craig's legacy and i think i think it's a fantastic film um jay do you want to what are your thoughts at this stage i know we're kind of giving away elements of our main episode but we're going to go into much more detail obviously on that but what's what would you say your thoughts on it are um i've only seen it once so i've only watched it that one time and i've not watched it again so i'm looking forward to it when we rewatch it in two or three weeks so i'm reserving judgment so i'm not going to really expand on that because like i said i've only watched it once so i'm going to re-watch it and see if my opinions changed or not so it's not very in-depth compared to your two but because <laughs> i don't want to make a decision you know because i've only watched it once yeah i will watch with a clean slate i will i'll be taking it seriously as it you know seeing if there's things i've missed and judging it on uh, on today's merits not the merits of a couple of months ago when i watched it last yeah uh, if i may add just to kind of talk more about the film and how much i love it but even like craig's acting too like he's playing a, a softer bond someone who's aged a little bit i think we do kind of soften with age as well like I know as as I've gotten older, I've also be, I feel like I understand my emotions better, and I can kind of tap into them more. Like even um, there's that Pixar film, The Good Dinosaur, right? I think it kind of bombed. But when I took like my younger like nephews and everything to go watch it, they didn't care for it at all. But for me, it hit me so hard. And I think there, I think with age comes that sort of maturity and a softening of your heart as well. And I think we see that in Craig's portrayal. Uh, throughout his five films especially ending with no time to die where we see him kind of a little more playful you know he's different because inspector and skyfall and everything before he's such a serious killer and you know assassin but he's he's softened up a lot more in no time to die and um i think it just feels very natural as, as well for an actor and a character um so moving on now, Vic, so the regular listeners of the the podcast know that myself and Andy, we rank and rate the films, but we also rate and rank different elements of the franchise. So we're going to put you kind of on under the spotlight now. So I'm going to kick us off. So what are your top five Bond films at the moment? Because I know you said earlier on, you know, things could be a bit fluid. But at the moment, what do you think of the top five Bond films? Uh, for me, okay... I don't want to say this is like a set list or anything, but these are like uh, hands down favorites. Um, Skyfall, clearly, from Russia with Love. I think it's just a great, you know, Cold War era spy thriller. Uh, the Spy Who Loved Me um, 
it's just so much it's just such a fun movie um, No Time to Die it's just a, an excellent work of art and Doctor No it's it's such a grounded uh, spy film that I think works so well variation there between um, the different eras you've obviously got a, a couple of Craig films a Roger Moore film and then two Connerys yeah yeah um, I mean I, I think each actor brings something different to the role like I think maybe the way I probably carry out myself more so is more Roger Moore. You try to charm your way with the with, with the villain, then try to you know stab him to death. Um, but they each film I think just brings a certain type of joy to the viewer. Like Skyfall is just is a this like perfect instrument that's you know executed so well from Russia. Same with like from Russia with Love or Doctor No. Um, but those are like more like classic spy films to me. And then No Time to Die is the more like modern interpretation, like a, like a, like a Logan was to like Wolverine and MCU and Fox. And then Spy You Love Me, I think is like just one of the most fun Bond films there is. Um, out of interest, just to put you um, under a bit of pressure, do you have a particular favorite Brosnan film? Uh, Tomorrow Never Dies. Actually, I think it's same reasons for like Quantum of Solace. It's just a great action film. It just moves so well. Uh, Michelle Yao is fantastic. I I love their chemistry in that film so much. Like just how they kind of go back and forth. Um, all the action sequences in that movie just kind of really stand out. Like when they're jumping off the tower and they're you know using the banner to fall down. Um, the remote control car is great, and I think Brosnan is just uh, just so smooth in that film. And after that, I'd say um, the world's not enough is probably my second favorite Brosnan film. Um, I think just the 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 plot and the sort of idea that the Bond girl is actually the main villain too really took me off, uh, you know, surprised me when I was a kid. So, you know, uh, those two for sure. Some good choices in the list. And um, of interest, The World Is Not Enough was actually the first one I saw at the cinema as a 15-year-old at the time I would have been. Um, you mentioned Michelle Yao as being a great Bond girl, but does she make your top five? What would you say are the, the top five Bond girls for you? Um... Man, I'd say top five. I think I said Severin before. Um, Solitaire as well, because I'm a huge crush on her. Honey, Honey Rider, I think in Doctor No. Um, just like, just iconic scene, an iconic entrance um, that you know has been mirrored so many times in, in the Bond franchise now, right? Whether it's um, Die Another Day or in Casino Royale. Um, Paloma, actually, No Time to Die, is like, you know, I think it's like everyone's favorite part of the film, right? When she comes in and she's like this naive CIA agent and turns out to be, she's actually really, really talented. Um, uh, she's great. And I think also their chemistry from like Knives Out just a few years earlier really shows there as well. Um, and then lastly, um, Anya from The Spy Who Loved Me. Because, you know, the opening scene, you think it's, uh, it's Bond in the bed, but it's actually her. And then she's kind of heartbroken because I think uh, her lover's dead and and all the all the times that she plays Bond in that movie, I just think it's just great writing. So just a follow-up question. So I'm, I'm on the James Bond subreddit, and obviously, Vic, you know, you've obviously seen the post on there. That's why you're a guest. And I don't know if you saw the post about Paloma and where some someone posted on there to say, do you want Paloma to be in the future Bond films or is it has it come to an end you know Daniel Craig is left so she's part of that franchise what's your view on that would you like to see her because she she has quite a, a strong following in the Bond community that's true she does doesn't she um man 
I think it'd be fun if she came back in for a little cameo scene like that again, just to do a quick fight scene with Bond. I can't see her as a like a main Bond girl or anything. Sort of like I'd imagine like a Camille, like Quantum Solace is what people may want, but I would be happy with her just never coming back. But if she came back, it'd have to be like a little like a quick wink at the audience sort of moment. So moving on, what are your top five? Bond villain. So these can be your, your main villain or any of the henchmen. I said Silva before because I think he's just so frightening and just fascinating at the same time. Uh, next, Jaws, actually. Um, so Spy Who Loved Me and Moonraker, right? Uh, he's, he's just so much bigger than Roger Moore. And I think there's a great, like, sort of like Tom and Jerry sort of relationship there. Uh, so, like, kind of cartoonish and uh, it's fun, but there's still like this like this real very real threat between from Jaws, where I think they try to imitate that Inspector with Dave Bautista, but I don't think it worked out as well um, because I think I don't think Dave Bautista is as big as the actual that plays Jaws. Um, but I, I I see you know the inspiration and everything there. Then after that, um, actually uh, Max Zorin and Mayday. Max is just so so evil and like willing to sacrifice Mayday, right at at the very end, and everything. Um, and he even like you know like even though him and Mayday kind of have a thing, he's happy using Mayday to distract Bond and like to go and sleep with Bond basically, which you know I think that's uh, very nefarious and almost like inhumane in a way because I feel like when as men you know. Um, when you're with a woman, like I think there's certain attachment and protectiveness there, but clearly he only sees Mayday as a tool, and so he doesn't even like treat her as 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 a person in that sense, uh, in many ways. And Mayday is really just really good villain, like she's a good like opponent for Bond. But at the very end, you see a change of heart in her, which I, I kind of like. Um, and then next would be La Chiffre from uh, Casino Royale, just because both in the book and in um, the film, actually maybe more so in the film, because Maz Mikkelsen is fantastic. There's just something, again, so, uh, uh, I don't know what the, right, what the right word is here, but, you know, like frightening almost, right? With the blood and the eye and just the way he looks into thing, looks into, you know, Bond and how he can shake up Bond and play Bond too. I think he's fantastic, even though he's not maybe a physical match for Bond. And then lastly, Odd Job, right? Um, I, one of the first, I think, henchmen I ever saw, right? And he's so small yet so dangerous, and really gives Bond a run for his money, even up to the very, very end in Port Knox. So I think that's fantastic as well. I'm a big Odd Job fan, and uh, to your point around uh, Jaws, I actually met Richard Keel uh, about twenty odd years ago now, and he is a big, big man. I think he's a legit seven foot one if I remember him, but yeah, I, uh, I would have been maybe 16 or 17 at the time, and he came to, um, uh, like, a local event where they have, like, stalls and celebrities and such, and he was the celebrity on hand signing autographs. Uh, it, was a, it, was a, it was a nice guy, but the woman he was with, the kind of his assistant or whatever, she was kind of shooing people away if they were taking too long talking to him, so that kind of put a dampener on things, but he, he is a huge individual, that's for sure. Moving on to the next ranking, so I won't ask you, ask you to do top five here because there's six, and because there's six Bond actors. So you put Craig at number one earlier as your favorite. How would you rank the others two to six? 
That's so hard because again, I think this changes as well whenever you watch their movies. <laughs> but generally, so yeah, Craig number one, that's who I grew up with. So it's like it's like an emotional attachment there to his films and him as an actor and just in the general like pop culture. Um, I've gotten a recent more an appreciation for Roger Moore as Bond. If you think about it, like his performances throughout all the films is actually very consistent. Uh, there's something very fun and light and just enjoyable there. Um, I never felt like he was calling it in, right? Even in his last last uh, two films, um, in A View to a Kill and in Octopussy, he's still having a good time. He's still enjoying playing the role. Yeah, there's people saying, "Oh, he's too old," whatever. But I feel like he's still putting a great amount of effort in, and he's trying. He never, he never seems like he's out of it like Sean Connery was in Diamonds Are Forever. Um, so then, third actor I'd say Connery just because of Doctor No from Rush with Love. It's just it's such fantastic movies. Um, I mean, he set the standard, right? And he's just as suave and as good good as any that came after. And then um, I think Dalton actually. I think he's fantastic too I remember like watching his films and just being so shocked he's almost like how visceral and how almost like brutal he is uh, his bond is and then next would be Brosnan which I think is a little unfair because you know Brosnan's such a fantastic actor too um but just trying to be objective you know um I think that my two favorite are those two middle ones and the other two I'm you know kind of so-so on and lastly, Lace and B. Like, you know, there's only one movie, and I think Honor Majesty's Secret Service is maybe a little overrated. It's like three separate movies kind of put together, like almost like different genres, kind of a little hodgepodge at the end, um, or as a whole. And the really the best parts are like the very beginning and I think the very end. Everything in between, in the middle, uh, is kind of uh, so-so for me. Uh, we, we've mentioned this on the on our main podcast. I think. I I really like Brosnan, so I grew up with Brosnan. But I think the thing that goes against Brosnan is the the quality of the films. I don't think the the films during his era are necessarily the best. And going back to you know uh, the guests that we've had so far, Roger Moore has featured highly, and he doesn't feature as highly in our list, does he, Andy? In terms of our main podcast so far. No, he doesn't. But that's uh, that's the beauty of discussions such as this is that we've all got different tastes we've all got different expectations of of who and what bond is um the 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 lays and be at the bottom of the list i think would he'd probably be at the bottom of a lot of people's lists in all honesty and a question we posed is did he need more time like you know did he did he need another couple of films to establish himself i guess we'll never know because obviously he just did he was one and done um but for, you know, if I think of Connery, he is arguably the quintessential Bond, but things really, for me, took took him to a next level is when he did Goldfinger, which was his third film. You got Doctor No and From Rush with Love, both really good films, but Goldfinger for me was just next level, just fantastic. And you know, if Dalton had a third film, would he have catapulted it to a next level? If if uh, Lazenby had have had more films, would he have gone to a next level? Uh, fun to speculate, but uh, I guess we'll never know. Yeah, I mean, the third film is typically kind of like the, the big one, right? For each actor, like I said, what really is their most successful, like Skyfall was Craig's most successful, Spy You Love Me for more, Goldfinger for Connery, or I guess maybe Thunderball maybe made more money. I can't remember exactly. Um, but yeah, uh, 
I think if Dalton got a third one, I think he'd have been fantastic in it too. Lazenby, it's hard to say because again, he he didn't really want to do anymore. <laughs> so hard to convince a guy who doesn't want to be bought anymore. True. So last set of rankings, Vic. So la so you've mentioned earlier on Diamonds Are Forever is your favorite theme song from for the Bond franchise. What are your other four favorite songs? Okay, so Billy Eilish's No Time to Die. I think it's just fantastic. Um, I know, again, unpopular opinion, but I, I think she sings it so well. It's mysterious. It's dark, kind of sad. It's also a song that could be kind of read to be either from Bond's point of view or Madeline Swan's point of view, uh, which I think is, is kind of interesting as well. Um, then next would be Skyfall. It's just it's like it's, just, it's like the first film that won the Oscar, right? Or first song that won the Oscar for a Bond song. Um, it's it was just so big and bombastic and so celebratory in, in many ways. Um, and Adele was just so good at this. My next choice is a little ironic: uh, Die Another Day with Madonna. I, I know it's very much of its era, but it's just such a fun song to play out of context. I think. I know in the movie it probably doesn't fit as well while you see Bond getting tortured and everything, but outside of that, like in the gym or wherever, uh, kind of fun. And then lastly, Living Let Die, again, it's this big, big rock song um, that McCartney does really well, and I think it's a lot of fun. That's an interesting one with Die Another Day, because um, I, I thought it, it fitted quite well with the opening sequence, you know, in terms of the, the intro. Usually you have your opening credits, but I, I like that one in terms of the the music and Bond being tortured, you know, in Korea. I thought that fitted quite well and quite unique in terms of the Bond franchise. So do you prefer the the older style songs and the modern style style songs for the Bond theme? So in, in the future, what would like, do you have a particular um, musician or band that you think would be great at doing, a, you know, the next Bond theme song. I think I'd like to see Lana Del Rey do one because she has that same sort of like sadness to her and like nostalgia element um, that kind of like harkens back to the '60s. That, so I think she'd be quite good at it, and I'd love for her to have a little cameo in the movie too because I think she'd make a good Bond girl as well in in many ways. Um, but I kind of want to talk about what you just said about Die Another Day. How you said it goes well with it. I think it's that's true um, lyrically, but sonically, because Dino Day is almost like this like upbeat song. Uh, it it feels um, ironic when you see Bond so down, but I can see how it works too. So Akira Kurosawa, the Japanese filmmaker, he often used this technique where he would uh, you know the character would be very very sad, but there'd be happy music playing around him, and the idea was that this would like further. Um, exploit his sadness like exaggerate his sadness almost because you can see his misery being even more um, exaggerated by the happiness around him and how unhappy he is so in that sense I, I think you're right it does work um, but to finish out your question yeah I think Lana Del Rey would be my top choice and hopefully we'll find out sooner rather than later who gets the nod in terms of the Bond theme song um it's been great to chat with you, Vic, and get all your ideas and thoughts and opinions and rankings on all things James Bond. It's always good to get another opinion instead of uh, Jay and I just waffling to each other <laughs> endlessly. So I really appreciate your time. Thank you for coming on the show. And that's it for today. Thank you very much, and we'll see you next time on The Rating Room.
Well, that's this week's episode done. We hope you enjoyed it. Special thanks to the band Sugar Tongue for the theme tune to The Rating Room. You can find them on all the usual social media channels. And be sure to check out their song The System, available now on Spotify. You can find and message us on Twitter, Facebook, TikTok and Instagram by searching The Rating Room. You'll find all our social media links on our website, theratingroom.com, and subscribe to our YouTube channel. Or feel free to drop us an email at theratingroom at gmail.com. Goodbye, thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week, right here on The Rating Room.